Greetings and welcome to Bombadil's Porch. Today's September 24th, 2020. I'm Nate Larmore together with Caleb Klontz and Chris Martin. We're three Christian dads trying to recover the lost art of sitting on the front porch together, trying to build community, camaraderie, and taking some time to enjoy the view of God's word and God's world. Today, we're going to be talking about peace in the Middle East, big news in the U.S. Supreme Court, and the shocking destruction of our neighboring town to the south, Malden, Washington. Caleb, tell us about this peace deal. Yeah, uh, big news, big news uh, out, of, out of Washington, but uh, regarding the Middle East, regarding peace in the Middle East, two things we don't normally find yeah, synonymous, right? Uh, typically, think of conflict when we think of the Middle East, and there's probably still enough of that. But uh, the Abraham Accords peace agreement uh, between Israel and uh, the United Arab Emirates, the UAE, um, what is it? Um, it's, a, it's a peace agreement between uh, these two countries. It was signed at the White House last Tuesday, the the ninth or the fifteenth, rather, hmm. of September. Um, and there was also a representative from Bahrain there, um, as Israel signed a, a declaration of intent to make peace with Bahrain as well. And so this is big news. Uh, big news for a number of reasons. Uh, big news because um, really. Israel's only had such an agreement in, in history with two other countries, uh, Jordan and Egypt. And so mm. when you think about this, this will be the third and fourth country that they would have uh, have peace with. And really, it's more than just just a, a peace agreement. Uh, there's more to it. Uh, it it's an agreement that, that provides for um, some economic um, uh, relations, business relations, also allows for the exchange of ambassadors because Israel has not been recognized by most of these countries in the past. And so uh, that's exciting news uh, for Israel, good news for Israel, um, and uh, it seems like they're they're very thankful for it. Um, Trump, uh, in a couple of articles, very, very thankful as well, thinking very, very many, I think he said very, very, or yeah, very, very soon we will see um, more more great leaders uh, uh, joining with these. And so... Did he describe the deal as huge, enormous, massive? It is massive. a huge, a huge <laughs> deal. Maybe not as huge as the wall, but uh, no, uh, a big day, obviously, Um uh, pro-Israel, and so uh, good news for Israel and good news for the Middle East um, as, as they seek uh, peace. What's what's different? I mean, this has been tried, this is not the first time, and decades and decades of of attempts and failures. Uh, but the nature of of this conflict is, is it goes far beyond anything like trade. Um, the nature of this conflict really gets into the religious mm-hmm. backgrounds of these nations. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's very visceral. You know, in some ways, uh, you just as three dads discussing the topic, it's the story of what happens when you allow strife in the family. Mm. It's a little bit ironic that it's called the Abraham Accords, and we've got peace trying to be uh, negotiated in terms of a framework between descendants of, of one family. Mm-hmm. They're even named after it, the Abraham Accords. Mm. And you look at uh, how a division in Abraham's family has turned into a civilizational divide. And there would be no peace between even this, you know, in this context, if it weren't for another division in a family, a division within the, the religion of Islam that came about between a conflict between, you know, Muhammad and one of his close associates that eventually led into the Sunni-Shiite um, sects or, um, or uh, factions within the, the Muslim faith. And, and that's 
really, I think, what's driving this this agreement as well. Right, because the, the, the difference is the, the approach, I believe, that the Trump administration took was instead of focusing on Israel giving up land in, in, in an attempt to have peace with their neighbors, they approached it from the perspective of, hey, we all have a common regional enemy, and that is Iran. And, and doesn't right. that kind of speak to that, reli- that religious conflict that you were talking about, Chris? Yeah, exactly. It's this is the the lingering effects of of religion and of family strife that that goes back into um, almost time immemorial, mm. and little things can turn into really big things over time. Yeah, yeah. Part of you guys have alluded to this, but part of the agreement is uh, is also puts a stop to or, or at least suspends uh, Israel any attempt by Israel to. Uh, to annex any parts of the, of the West Bank and Palestine, and, and then okay. the goal is that Israel and Palestine can can also work together for some agreement for peace, uh, at least an anti-conflict uh, there. Um, one thing to note, you know, the the uniqueness of this, and really nothing has happened like this since um, since the Jordan um, peace treaty with Israel. Um, but this actually is is intended to be more than just that, right? Actually, to provide a relationship. Uh, some of that tension um, between uh, Israel and Jordan, you know, as I, you've mentioned uh, earlier um, today, Nate, but uh, maybe not everybody else heard. But, you know, those areas, historically, if you have uh, your, your passport stamped uh, in one in one place, uh, trying to visit another country, they may not let you in just because of the stamp you visited yeah. there. You know, and so even uh, if you were an American tourist, for, for example, <laughs> really wanting to spend time in that part of the world— um, uh, at risk to your own life, but uh, <laughs> you, uh, yeah, you need to be careful. It's no joke. I know when we were over there as students, we went to go to visit Egypt for eight days, and we got back to the border crossing to Israel, and they saw the Egypt stamp there, and we were obviously at the Egyptian border, and the lady said, give me one good reason why I should let you back into this country. <laughs> and they just had wow. some trouble with American teenagers coming over and chaining themselves to the houses of Palestinians that were getting uh, okay. bulldozed because they had been houses of, of terrorists that had blown themselves up. Wow. And, uh, you know, one one bright teenager chained uh, themselves to the, the wrong side of the building, and the bulldozer never knew that they were there oh <laughs> and knocked oh. the thing down on top of them. And wow. that became this huge international incident. And so they were not excited about young American teenagers coming in across the borders from their surrounding nations. And so, yeah, we got pulled into the back office and it was a a bit of a to-do. Wow. Wow. As, as Christians, how do we relate to this? I mean, clearly as biblical Christians, we have an interest in the nation of Israel, um, supporting the nation of Israel. Clearly as, as people living in a free democracy, they are also a free democracy, and uh, one of the few spots in that part of the world where not just uh, Israelis, not just Jews, but Arabs, and, a, and, a, and it's a very diverse population, they live in freedom. But as, you know, those would be reasons for us to have an interest, or there are other reasons too. I mean, even in terms of the end times we were talking earlier, Chris, you know, anytime you hear <laughs> about a peace treaty involving Israel, everyone, you know, I, maybe not everyone, but I'm... I feel this way. It's like, oh, what's going on over there? Is this does this factor yeah. into what the Bible says about the end times? Yeah, we lost uh, our first attempt at recording this segment, which was good because otherwise everybody would have heard Nate directly accuse Trump of being the Antichrist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's probably yeah. a good thing that didn't survive. That just won me a bunch of friends in in cities around the country, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> to correct the record, I have no idea. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, the uh, Caleb, I'm 
curious. Uh, this you mentioned. I think you said there was an an intent. They signed an intent. What's next for this this agreement? Well, this has got to go. Uh, first of all, the one between uh, the United Arab Emirates and Israel has still got to go uh, back to you know to their governments and <laughs> to be approved. Um, I know for. Uh, for Israel, uh, it still has to go back um, to the cabinet and Knesset. I hope I said that right. Oh, nice. But yeah, uh, after uh, nice. after he signs it, and then uh, after Netanyahu had signed it, and so I'm not sure. It's a standard process, and, and didn't look like there'd be any issues with it. Um, but I'm not sure what that looks like exactly for um, yeah, the UAE as as well. But but yeah, I mean these things are still processes. So uh, sometimes details need to be worked out. Wording needs to be different. Uh, for example. Um, from the Israeli side, they say they're suspending any attempts to annex any part of uh, of the West Bank, and then from the uh, from the um, United Arab Emirates side, it says immediately stopping. Right, so I mean, it's kind of different wording, mm-hmm. and and that's the intricacies that uh, that have to happen there for the governments to be able to work out the wording on all these documents and and to figure out how they're going to to move forward. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's quite a bit to it. But, uh, but yeah, it's uh, definitely a good first step. Provides a framework. You know, it actually gives um, Israel this, this opportunity to, to have uh, ambassadors and to, to have that sort of uh, a relationship with, with other countries in the Middle East. And, and that's, a, that's a good thing. And I think most of the countries in the Middle East see peace as a good thing and see the opportunity to work together. It's just most of them have not recognized Israel. As a nation. I hadn't even thought about that. Ambassadors, embassies, mm-hmm. none of that exists today between these countries. Sure. Right. I heard somewhere uh, that I think it, probably Trump was was hopeful that uh, that uh, the United Arab Emirates would put their actual embassy in Jerusalem. Uh, it doesn't sound like that's necessarily the plan on the, on their part yet, but uh, but steps toward toward those types of relationships, which which is really helpful uh, for that region. It's kind of crazy too how little press this has received, and unfortunately. It's simply because I think you could call this a, a success for the Trump administration. And if there's something that could be looked at as a success for the Trump administration, three quarters of the media spectrum ignores it. Uh, obviously, the failures they emphasize is too bad because this really is significant, not just not just for the, the government of Israel, but the people of Israel, the people of the UAE, the people of Bahrain. Mm-hmm. And I would hope eventually the people of, of uh, the Palestinian uh, territories as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really big deal uh, in, in, in historical context. I also think, though, we have to be careful about getting our hopes up too high. Uh, I think it's a deal that is tentative. I think it's fragile, and I think it will be ultimately temporary. Mm-hmm. I think it's an existential crisis that's brought them to this point. Uh, they're all scared about Iran securing a nuclear weapon mm-hmm. and using it uh, willy-nilly against any of them or all of them. And so I think that that's what's created this uneasy alliance. I don't think it will last ultimately because it doesn't deal with the intractable problems that are underneath all of that. Mm. And I think as Christians, it's a good reminder for us that uh, for all sorts of reasons, people can come together temporarily. Mm-hmm. But the real divisions, the real sources of conflict in the heart of man— often run so much deeper and are so much more foundational than, than any temporary political framework or even in a smaller level, a therapeutic framework can really deal with long-term. It is only the gospel mm-hmm. that's able to bring about meaningful peace, mm-hmm. real peace between us now, and it's only going to be the return of Jesus 
that restores an actual political stability to the world. Mm. Uh, and so while we should celebrate any, any peace that we see, work towards it, I think we also need to know that this is not what we've been holding out for, is a political silver bullet that's <laughs> going to unite the world and bring in the good times, that these are always going to be moments to be thankful for that punctuate seasons of violence, because that's what's in the hearts of man. Yeah, yeah, and no, I think you, you touched on some good points there. And, you know, 2020, year of, uh, year of fear for a lot of people, and that really is a big motivating factor here is, is Iran and, and this desire for security and safety for these other um, Arab nations, you know, in confronting Iran and, and having them, you know, right next door there. And so that is definitely, definitely a part of this. And, and what, uh, what, what an interesting year. Um, I think everyone's looking for, for, uh, for some stability, lots of things going on. A win for the Trump administration, uh, yes, which is why we're not hearing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, other things we are hearing about uh, in light of the elections and things like that. So pass it back off to you, Nate, as we continue. Yeah, we, um, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away several days ago, leaving a vacancy on the U.S. Supreme Court. She served on the court for the last well over 20 years. Uh, President Clinton, in fact, uh, nominated her in 1993. The uh, de- unfortunately sound like it was that long ago, <laughs> but we're getting older. That was a long time ago. That was I, a long time ago. You know what makes me feel old is is watching college football. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but if, every year I'm like, these are just kids. What are they? You know, look at the command that these guys. Anyway, <laughs> uh, thanks for that that unpleasant reminder, yeah, Chris. That the, the the clock is ticking. Uh, yeah, nineteen ninety-three. Notorious for doing that sort of thing. Oh, notorious! Great segue. I'm going I'm um, I'm to be going down as notorious too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, one of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg became known as the notorious RBG, uh, which was a, a nickname play on rapper Biggie Smalls. And I do think uh, were you able to confirm if Biggie Smalls is in either of your playlists, your favorite playlists on your phones? Yeah, I, I didn't actually have anything in my playlist uh, from from Biggie Smalls, but. Uh... Okay. And towards B.I.G. Oh, man. Yeah. If uh, if it's what the RBG listens to, it's going to have a place in my playlist. <laughs> big big Papa. Um, yeah, that Boy, does that date me that I would even, well, that's about the only tune I know, but it's probably not even the right name. She uh, she was such a fan of, of the nickname that she admitted to keeping stock of notorious RBG T-shirts that she'd give away as gifts. Uh, you know, Ginsburg really, although known for her soft-spoken demeanor, her brilliant analytical mind, and um, and a strong interest, personal interest in personal rights, particularly women's rights, one of the things that I think in, in the modern era, she really became a cultural icon, particularly for the progressive left. And, uh, and she represented a lot of the ideals that, um, that folks, uh, more liberal Americans, um, admire. And would like to see more of in our country. And, and for folks on the right, conservatives, she represented a, pro, a, a lot that conservatives didn't want. What I'm kind of curious about is, of course, as you said, Caleb, the like anything else could happen in the year 2020. <laughs> and, and we already had a poisonous, toxic political environment. Th- now the vacancy that it is on the Supreme Court, that President Trump is going to nominate someone to fill, the Senate's going to vote on this. It, it just seems to have upped the ante and the, the toxic rhetoric even further. Kind of brings me back to, again, as Christian dads, first of all, men, Christian men, and then in particular as dads, how do you, 
how do you process these kinds of things? How, how do you how do you care about it, but not care too much about it? What's the significance for us? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, there's a sense in which I want my daughters to 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 see, you know, this this person, the iconic person uh, in our history, and go, yeah, you know, as as women, we can be strong women. We can we can do great things uh, for our country. And we can we can be in these positions, and I think that's you know that's helpful and that's good. Um, and so, on that sense, we we can kind of look in admiration uh, at uh, at RBG, but uh, but in, in other senses, we, we can't. You know, the things that uh, that I want to to protect my daughters in so often are things that uh, that that the left systematically pushes uh, pushes against or toward. You know, and so I don't know. Chris, you could probably speak more eloquently to eloquently rather to, to that. But uh, anyway, yeah, it it is. Um it's a fun little package of topics to discuss with, with our families. Uh, there is the political hysteria side of it. And that's always, it's always good to be able to look at why people are getting hysterical. Mm. Um, you're typically going to become hysterical when what you've put your faith in is threatened. Mm. And to realize that as Christians, if we're becoming hysterical at things that are not related to Jesus, <laughs> then we're probably uh, missing something. Um, it, it also reveals hearts, you know, that the hypocrisy that so often not only occurs, but even characterizes modern politics is, mm-hmm. is brought to the fore when you've got this situation, which is kind of a mirror image of a, you know, a similar situation back in 2016 and the, you know, different sides are yelling at each other with the opposite message, you know, and so there's all that stuff to look at and just to see how circumstances God writes these plots so that they They've turned the tables, and then you get to see the other side's heart. Uh, that's interesting to see. Um, but it also brings up questions about what is justice? What is the role of law? What's the role of the Supreme Court? How does a figure—there uh, shouldn't be any more boring people, brilliant but boring people in the country than our Supreme Court justices, right? <laughs> that, yeah. uh, you, can, you can be eloquent in your, in your statements, whether for or against your ruling. You know, that's a little bit of interestingness. Would, would go a long way there. But <laughs> as far as a personality, you want somebody who is brilliant at understanding what the law says and then absolutely predictable in how they're going to apply it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what it said, so that's what this means. Yep. Uh, and the fact that you have Supreme Court uh, characters now that are achieving kind of folk hero status, that's a problem. That's a problem uh, that are individuals that are being tied to pretty seismic moves in the culture and society. That That is not something that I think we want to celebrate. Mm-hmm. We, we should see that instead as a failure on multiple levels. It's a failure on the executive branch to appoint people that are activists. It's a failure on the legislative side that they are not creating the rules and the laws that need to be created to clarify questions of moral uh, uncertainty and it's a failure of the du- of the judiciary to say this is our job to say what the law says and so you you see i think behind a story like rbg not just one aspect of government or even one side of a political spectrum being indicted but you really see uh, flaws in the entire governmental structure being highlighted and ones as christians that we need to be building into our children is this is this is what leadership look, should look like. This is what decision-making should look like. This is what justice means and should look like. Um, otherwise, we will have a generation of, of activists that will make for cool slogans and T-shirts, 
but will not make for a society that I want my kids or my grandkids to live in. Mm-hmm. 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 There seems for so many a fundamental misunderstanding of how the Republic is meant to work. And it's not meant to be political at every level. But it sure feels to me like for many folks, politics has become almost a religion uh, with, 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 its, with its dogma, with its high priests and priestesses, with, with its enemies. And I guess as, I mean, every, every human has, has a, has a we're, we're wired with a capacity to worship something. For many folks, they worship themselves. Uh, for many other, but that that gets that void is filled with something, and as a, as a society grows more hostile towards things of God, um, as a society becomes more secular, that void is filled with something, mm-hmm. and that hostility mm-hmm. I find interesting. Probably another topic for another time, but even in in the few women that have been discussed as possible replacements by the Trump administration for RBG seat. Uh, one of the criticisms that's already come out about one of the women is is her religion. She's Catholic, and mm-hmm. at one point uh, when she was appointed to the seat that she sits in now, I forget which which court mm-hmm. it is, um, but part one of the major criticisms of her was that she took her religion too seriously. Mm-hmm. What yeah, a- it's okay to be Catholic. You know, Nancy Pelosi's Catholic, Joe Biden's Catholic. It's just not to be okay, okay to be Catholic and mean it. And actually, yeah, yeah. be serious about <laughs> your yeah, faith. Exactly. What a what a what a embarrassing time in many ways that that people that have a faith that's different, um, not traditionally different, but in the modern area, mm-hmm. uh, people that take their faith seriously, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, uh, that that becomes uh, a check against you. And, yeah. and, and it seems that the value is that you don't have anything you take seriously. Uh, kind of reminds me of, of Romans chapter one and various other passages where wrong has become right, right has become wrong. Um, Pretty, pretty scary time for us as Christians if we didn't know who is really in, in control of all these situations. I, yeah. I, I think, though, you know, sometimes there's part of me, I don't know about you guys, I'm torn. On the one hand, I, I care a lot about these situations. On the other hand, I know Jesus has said, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Uh, that said, though, we do have a responsibility as citizens to participate through voting and through various other other means. Yeah, absolutely. We can't just be bystanders. Yeah. Well, um, Chris, you uh, have been looking more closely at this terrible tragedy that's taken place of us in Mountain Washington. Can you yeah. tell us more? Yeah, there's... Um, for those that are in the Spokane region, you haven't been able to avoid the reality of fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've only recently begun to breathe again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the air has been thick for the last couple of weeks. And it's it's easy when you just see the air being yucky to think that's the problem. <laughs> oh, we got bad air quality today. Everybody's talking about this historic bad air quality. Well, it's, it is bad air quality, but it's at the expense of the devastation of, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres really across the western side of the continental U.S., uh, but it's, it's been hitting close to home. And even this small city, you know, just a, less than a couple hours away from us, largely razed to the ground. And um, to her credit, my wife took our kids um, out to go see the town and to see if they could help. And they were able to, to go to a small church there. And there's been a lot of donations of clothes and things that have come in, just filled all the pews, she was saying. And they, they were sorting through and 
organizing all of the clothes, uh, and then just talking to some of the folks that have lived there about what they're trying to do. And there's there's really a serious question whether this town is going to continue to exist. Mm. You know, it had been built on some thriving, uh, uh, the thriving industry of of the train system. Initially, it was a train depot. Mm. You know, they had their their little uh, bank and tavern and all that kind of stuff. And this, this little town is built up around this train station. Well, that's not really the heart of the economy today. And so it is, it's uh, fallen into what a lot of small American towns have fallen into, just sort of a, a slump. Mm. And now that everything is destroyed, you know, a lot of folks around there were saying, you know, we're thinking of just moving north, moving south, moving, you know, somewhere mm. else. There's not a good reason to rebuild here. Um, it's also hard to figure out how to help sometimes because, oh, we've donated all these clothes. Okay, where am I going to put them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if I'm not wearing them today. I have no house. I have no closet. I have no drawers. There's, you know, what what are what are we going to do with with this stuff? Um, just yeah, just you, just devastation that's we forget happens in America still. Do you know about how many families lived in the town? I don't. I can't remember. I do not know what the population is. It's quite small. Um, yeah, I, 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 209 I, in 2018. Okay. Total population, yeah. 209? In 2018, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so so small. And this, you know, this fire just ripped through. And they said they, it was just so fast. Uh, they described uh, witnesses. The spokesman did a, did a great little write-up on it. As the flames just came up over the hill and over the town, the rocks were exploding down the hillside just because they they heated up so fast and wow. uh, just an apocalyptic sounding scene. Mm. Uh, but it, it made me it made me stop and think about a couple of things. First, an opportunity to um, publicly confess my sins, mm. <laughs> in the sense that uh, you know my wife said, "Hey, this town just burnt to the ground. We should go down there. We should go take a look at it." Should we go, you know, on Saturday when we can all go as a family, or should I just take the kids and go tomorrow on a Friday? And I said, oh, why don't you just take the kids and go tomorrow? And I, you know, I've got work to do, and then we can have Saturday to get Saturday to be together as a family. And like, mm. what a ridiculous failure as a father! Mm. What a great opportunity mm. that was to say, hey, I'm going to make this a great opportunity to lead my family, to lead my children, and going to be a help where there is a crisis in our area, and just to be present. We talked about this podcast being where Christian fathers can sit on the porch and view the world and, you know, get my butt off the porch sometimes. You know what I'm saying? It's like we got to do stuff that are fatherly. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's two Christian fathers and a sissy sitting on the porch. (laughs) Oh, no, I think we could probably relate there, Chris. Uh, Uh, And and many more. You you hit on, I think, an area of my life that God's been working on. The the, knowledge is important. Action, knowledge that leads to action. Yeah. And in this case, uh, boy, what a what a a great thought of using it not only as an opportunity to to lead your your kids and teach them about caring for others, putting their faith into action. Um, I think that's that's great. I yeah, I, I was kind of comfortable sitting here on the porch, but now I'm thinking I do need to get off the, <laughs> the metaphorical porch and, and get do. out there and do something. What what kinds of things and maybe maybe we don't know what kind of things can we do to help those those families? And at least that was something that I was talking about with my wife. And again, all credit to her for being the proactive one on this. But there's not a whole lot of things to do mm. uh, right now. It's a lot of it is figuring out what's next. 
you know, down the road, if there's a, an intention to rebuild, I think there'll be more opportunities to, to give concrete help there. Um, they still aren't sure if there's a town worth saving. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, there were little things that could be done, like just sorting out donations and things like that, which at some point that becomes a cycle where the help is donating things they don't need. And then the rest of the help is sorting and trying to find a place to stick all the stuff they didn't want. You know? <laughs> but hey, we're doing something. Yeah. Uh, but, but at a deeper level, th- there's the value of being there, you know, and they, mm-hmm. they just said it was nice to see that my family came, you know, they said, oh, wow, you're here to help, you know, to, just to know that somebody even cares that this little town and this little community was there just to show up and be present. And I think that, that being present is is an important factor that I underestimated um, and and that is easy to underestimate. And especially as Christian men, just to see people to see men that care show up and say, is there is there are there ways that we can help? And if not, can we just encourage you and let you know that we cared enough to show up? Mm. And even that can be a, a big deal. Mm. Mm. Is it I forget which state has the the motto, the show me state? Is that Oklahoma? Um, I only reference that because I, I do think for for us Christian guys, uh, there's something there's something to be said for that. Yeah. And we we say we care about something, and it's you kind of want to hear this voice in your head. Okay, show me, demonstrate. I mean, Jesus is a perfect example of demonstrating His love for us. And how can we do that to to the town of Malden? And then how can we do that even right here within the walls of our own church? Yeah, absolutely. Missouri, by the way. Missouri. Missouri. Thank you. you. Not Missouri. My brother was born there. (laughs) There you go. Not in Missouri. In in Missouri. (laughs) I'm glad you cleared up Missouri. I was like, what's so so miserable over there on your side of the porch, Caleb? (laughs) Uh, The other thing that came to mind, you know, with this story that I wanted to kind of pick your guys' brain a little bit, too, is when this town lost its stuff, they're trying to decide if the town itself— has a reason to exist. Uh, it's their industry faded away to a certain degree, and there's been people living sort of in the shell of that. Uh, and and now that that shell is gone, what's left? Hmm. And it made me think: What if the fire whipped north? You know, and if these if these fires really move through with a vengeance, there's not much you do. It's just yeah. you kind of wait until it's done doing its thing, and you put out what's left. If it raged Spokane Valley to the ground, you know, we lost all the stuff. What would make this community, what would make any community uh, a community worth rebuilding? Mm. What, what is it that's enduring about a local area um, that means when all, all the stuff goes, when devastation hits, people say, well, that stunk, but we're going to be back tomorrow scraping off the dirt and getting ready to put our houses back up, put our businesses back up, because this is a place worth preserving. What what do you think are those enduring qualities of a community that make people willing to rebuild rather than just move away and let it die? That seems almost, that, that notion is, is, it's almost, it seems too foreign in a way. I mean, most communities mm-hmm. are, are collections of where people sleep. They right. drive somewhere else for work, or these days mm. we haven't been driving anywhere for work. We've all been Zoom calling in or whatever it is we do. It sure is a great question about how well do we know our community? 
And if something like that were to happen, what would keep us here? What would keep our neighbors here? I, th I think a common, just a couple of ideas, uh, you know, a common sense of purpose mm -hmm. is what can hold a community together. Um, different places, that means different things. Certainly here in our church, we have a common mm -hmm. sense of purpose and a sense of family. Uh, but yeah, in a town, that's particularly a town like ours, it's kind of a suburban suburb of, of Spokane. Right. Uh, what, would, what would keep us here? What would bring us back? Yeah, uh, I think that's that's a valid question. It's a good question. I mean, I think faith, uh, you know, is obviously for us as a community is is important, and I, you know, I think that could be that could be a reason to to say, hey, let's let's rebuild, <clears throat> and let's uh, let's really be conscious as we as we rebuild about how we're rebuilding and why. I know, Chris, you've talked about uh, about this with me even earlier uh, this week, but we were talking about you know how Spokane Valley doesn't have a a town center, a city center doesn't really have its identity anywhere. And so, you know, it's, it's this, this city without a center, um, which makes it a bit awkward and, you know, rebuild the town with a center. Let's be, let's be intentional. You know, let's, uh, you know, we can do that for, for gospel reasons, but also just for, for God's glory, you know, to see order, uh, you know, uh, rightly ordering things. Yeah. So, um, a there center without a city is a clock being wound up, and a city without a center is a clock winding down. There you, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. I, I, Chris, you had once talked about, and I was struck by it. The idea of we're all here. We're here in this town for a reason, a bigger reason than just this is where we happen to buy a house, uh, this is where we happen to work, or something like that, and and really looking at the long term. And I kind of, I, I, you know, it's obviously it stuck with me when you mentioned that. And it really, it really caught my attention that so much of modern life is moving to where the work is. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that might be changing here in a post-COVID world. We'll see. Uh, you talked about an entirely different perspective of choosing to live in a place, not just because of family connections there or work connections, but choosing to live there, choosing to stay there because it's part of your legacy. And, and that, that strikes me that um, in most towns, I don't think I, people of faith have that common purpose. And that certainly could be, if we don't have it now, something to aspire to, mm. that maybe, maybe we don't have a quick reason if something terrible happened here in town, why we would stay. Maybe we don't have that reason today. Uh, but sure, wouldn't, wouldn't it be awesome to have that reason and build that reason, invest in that reason that this is where we are, we're putting our stake in the ground and we're building not for our own purposes or our own glory or our own convenience or satisfaction, but because we're building a community. Uh, right. Almost takes me back in time to when you know, various pioneer lands were settled. Uh, pretty, pretty powerful stuff that goes well beyond us because that'll take decades, take, might take half a century or more to, to achieve a vision of having a, a community that really matters. Yeah, I, I'm surprised at how often you know we will move for work in our in our culture. You know, especially as Christians, you know we have this 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 body of of believers, this this family of faith that we're a part of, and yet we don't really hold those ties as dearly as as a lot of people do in, in other parts of the world that are believers, right? I mean, these are these are your people. When we were planting a church in 
and, and are helping plant plant a church in Trieste, Italy. You know, those are our people. I mean, I still have a, a you know a huge a terrible affinity for for them. You know, I mm. I desire to to be with them. They're they're people that that I pray for that I think of, um, and when we do so, we do so with longing. Um, but you know, we, and God moved us back here, and we found a place to plant. And I, and, I, and I really think you know that that's that's important. You know, committing to a body of believers and and and, and Valley Bible Church, for example, that this is my these are my people. And so, we don't take that into account often when we make a work decision. Right? We don't say, "What about my church family? How does that affect them? How does that change those relationships?" And I know you could go, you know, move somewhere else and, and build that again. But uh, but but that seems to be the last thing on the list for most of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's and that's that's awfully sad when, you know the. For example, we'll think maybe family first, and I know we're getting shorter on time, but we'll think of family first and say, oh, let me move your family or something like that. And yet, according to Jesus, this relationship that we have as, as brothers and sisters in Christ is, is actually, that's that's thicker than blood, right? Mm-hmm. Faith is, is thicker than blood. That, that binds us together uh, in, in a way that uh, that uh, should be even stronger than than our bonds with uh, with our actual brothers and sisters. And, and our bonds with our brothers and sisters should be good, right? Our actual brothers and sisters. So... Anyway, yeah, I think it gets back to the heart of what God created men to do. You know that we are we are those that God has oriented to going out into chaos and restructuring chaos in such a way that it can be a place where life emerges. And and we ought to do that in our families. When we look at our children, they start off a little rough around the edges. <laughs> you know, they don't they don't talk. They don't have any skills. They don't do these things. But we see in them the potential of what a creature who bears the image of God can become by his grace. And so we invest our lives in seeking to, to raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And I think that same fatherly impulse ought to govern the way that, that we as fathers look at, at our city as well. And we don't just see it as it is and complain about this pothole never goes away. And you know, why there's so many thrift stores and used car lots and why can't we bring in more of a city center atmosphere and, and instead have that vision and see Mm. What an area that is loved by and stewarded by many families can become over time, and what can be my little piece of doing that so that if this whole place burnt to the ground, people's calculus wouldn't be, um, what's the cost of living? Where's the local industry that's growing? You know, What are the amenities that I can get access to? If I go here, there, or wherever else, they'll say, you know what, there was something so special mm about the way everybody loved and cared for this place, that we're not going to let this place go away. Mm. We're going to rebuild this place as many times as we need to so that we can preserve what we have here. And what we have here will ultimately not be a thing. It'll be relationships. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a good place for us to wrap up this particular escapade from the porch. <laughs> well, what a great finish and a challenge to us individually, and hopefully that's an encouragement to our listeners as well. That is all we have today for this episode of Bombadil's Porch. We want to thank you, the listener, for enjoying this view of God's world with us. We hope that you'll join us again soon. To subscribe to our podcast, look up Bombadil's Porch on Spotify, use your podcast software of choice, or visit Bombadil's Porch. Dot com. It's you... not just Spotify anymore. Oh, where we're else on a are bunch we now? of them. We're all over the place. You can get us on the Google one now or on uh, Radio America, I think. And basically, it's about everywhere but Apple. Look, find us anywhere but Apple. <laughs> okay, everywhere but we'll Apple. Get there, though. Very good. Um, or you can also leave us a voicemail at bombadillsporch.com. Leave us your comments, questions, critiques. 
Uh, we always love hearing from our listeners. We can also be reached at bombadillsporch at gmail.com. I want to close with a section from Ray Bradbury and his book, Dandelion Wine, kind of gives a, a nice visual of what the porch is all about. He says, sitting on the summer night porch was so good, so easy, so reassuring that it could never be done away with. These were rituals that were right and lasting. The lighting of pipes, the pale hands that moved knitting needles in the dimness, the eating of foil-wrapped chilled Eskimo pies, the coming and going of all the people, oh, the luxury of lying in the fern night and the grass night, in the night of Susserant, slumberous voices weaving the dark together. From myself, Chris, and Caleb, we wish you a great day and a good night. <laughs>